We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. You think football is still fun? Uh, yes. Sir. Yes, no. No? Sir, sir uh, it was fun. Not anymore, though, is it? Is it? No, not by No, it's not fun anymore. Not even a little bit. Just look at that. He hit the fall. That gets a free stay. <laughs> you having fun yet? Oh, yeah. I'm having a blast. Thanks. Good. All right. Welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today, we're talking out cold as selected by our Big Screen Sports Patreon group. Shout out to our producer level patrons, the straw that stirs the drink of this show. That includes Aaron Figueroa, Mike Schubert, Steve Rogers, Kevin Frost, Mike D, Ryan Yeager, Mike Dries, James Kowalewski, Chris Mikoski, Andrew Teagle, John Craig, Sam Smith, Zach Rich, and of course, Classic Stadium Fire, the sponsor to all our patrons movie episodes. Folks, Father's Day just happened, and you might have messed up. You might not have gotten Dad a great gift. It's You still got time. Make up for that with a laser-cut wood stadium from Classic Stadium Fire of your old man's favorite ballpark, arena, football stadium, really anything. Ton of choices over at Classic Stadium Fire. The College World Series is going on right now, and my favorite piece of office decor is my display of Rosenblatt Stadium from Classic Stadium Fire. These things are great decor for any office, man cave, she shed, even like a nursery or something like that. They really work everywhere. They look awesome, and you can you can do something custom. Holler at my guy Andy over at Classic Stadium Fire. Let him know what your favorite baseball stadium is, arena, anything like that. He will make it for you. It'll look great. Uh, you can get 10% off with code BIGSCREEN at etsy.com slash Classic Stadium Fire. That link is going to be in the show notes. Big thanks to Classic Stadium Fire and all of our patrons, our producers for supporting the show and picking this movie. It's it's one that I love. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash sports, you can vote on future movies for this show to cover. Patrons are picking three movies in July, making three selections. There's still some time to get your votes in if, uh, if you're a patron and haven't voted or if you, you want to join the Patreon, get that selection. In. Uh, you can get schedule updates, ad-free episodes, stickers, just all the good stuff, and you get to support the show. You get to keep this going. I say it all the time. The patrons truly make this show go. Uh, so big thanks to them, everyone who has supported this show and who who voted on this movie. Today's episode, if you're like me, you caught out cold a ton on cable in the early aughts. It's a true cult classic among this generation. Like There's nothing like firing up out cold and comedy central and it's right to the scene where they're they're spinning galifianakis in the car rob fox the co-host of softcore history he returns to the show always great to chop it up with rob 
Let's dive right in. Out cold, me and Rob Fox. All right, returning to big screen sports, uh, was on one of our first episodes ever, and then was on a couple weeks ago. We decided to make this this return visit happen a lot sooner. The co-host of Softcore History, Rob Fox. Rob, what's going on, man? So honored that I was back so soon. So Stand-up performance with Blades of Glory. So yeah. I had to have you back on. Somebody had to sit through it, right? It's... This, what we're going to talk about tonight, a lot better than Blades of Glory, which I think we'll get into. But uh, Rob, tell the folks about Softcore History. Where Where can they find it? Yeah, so Softcore History, uh, the main show you can find on, uh, you know, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever your podcasts are. Uh, and I, I, if you know anything about podcasts, I think you could probably, you know, uh, deduce from the name that it's a history podcast, uh, but a humorous one. Like, so Hardcore History is the Dan Carlin, like, really intense, really good podcast about history, dives really into the details. Uh, the three of us, we just pick out kind of random crap to talk about. Uh, and have a couple beers. It's usually just me having the beers, actually. And, you know, we just, you know, uh, talk about weird historical topics or other stuff like that. We don't just do weird stuff. Sometimes we'll do, like, broader things. But it's just a fun history podcast. You'll probably learn something. Uh, but who knows? Uh, but, yeah, you can find us there. And then we have a Patreon where we're doing a bunch of fun extra stuff. Uh, that's patreon.com slash softcorehistory. Um and then like we do stuff like we, my, our favorite thing we just did, again, we've done three of these now is a quiz show against um, another history podcast. We do that uh, every month or two months basically. Uh, and those get really heated and we do all drink for those. So those get really just uh, heated and fun, stuff like that. And there's just a lot of other stuff too, um, but it's all fun. It's all good. If you like history, check us out. It's me, Jake Goldman, Dan or Jester. Um, it's a good time. And we do, we really, even though it is software history, we do do research. Like it is, I was telling someone this the other day. You, you guys put the, put the work into it. We do. Yeah. I, I was telling someone the other day, like, cause they were talking about doing more podcasts and stuff. I think it was my wife. She's like, you need to do more shows a week. And I was like, all right, it's not like, we don't just sit there and talk about how we went to see Top Gun this weekend. Like I have to write like five or six pages of research, like do it and write it and then set up a little bit of a narrative on it. Like it takes time. I was like, you could you you could do with the baby more if you want, and I'll happily do another show. <laughs> and uh, like this show, a lot of y'all's episodes are evergreen. So, folks, check scroll the whole feed. Check out, find something that fits your interest. I, I guarantee you there's something on that feed. Uh, go check it out. You mentioned the Patreon. This episode, what we're talking about today, was voted on. This is our, our patrons movie of the month. They nominated this, selected this movie, just like Blades of Glory, I think, actually, the, the last one we covered. But today we're talking about one that's kind of near and dear to my heart, uh, something of a cult classic with, with guys in our generation. We're talking about Out Cold, the 2001 snowboard comedy. A snowboarder's plans for his own snowboard party. This IMDb summary is awful, by the way. I don't think they watched the movie. A snowboarder's plans for his own snowboard park go awry when an ex-girlfriend returns to town. That's that's not entirely what happens. It is not his park. Someone someone did not watch the movie. Uh, it starred Jason London, Zach Galifianakis, and AJ Cook. It was directed by brothers Brendan and Emmett Malloy. It was their, direct, their feature-length directorial debut. They directed some music videos. This was the first time someone turned over the keys to them. It was going to be one of the last times someone turned over the keys to them for a for a feature movie for a while because it was a box office failure. Got an eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which, if I remember correctly, yes. is like is like almost sixty percent lower than Blades of Glory. This movie it, it, it develops that it, it then develops this cult following. It helps that two of the film stars become very famous in comedy circles over you know over the course of the next twenty years. In Zach yeah. Galifianakis, David Koechner. 
Um, but it, and you know, some, some other bit players, you know, do stuff too. And for, for guys of our generation, you and I are a couple years apart, but like the late nineties, early two thousands, this was, it ended up being a great cable movie. They actually cut it, it out of, they, they, they had to cut it down from an R rating. There, there was yeah. an unrated version of this floating around that never got released, but like that made it a movie that you could put on MTV or VH1 or one of those. And I think guys like you and me gravitated to this movie in that period. I mean, this is that's the only way I ever saw it was edited on Comedy Central. And honestly, it was the type of thing like I was never like, oh, hell yeah, Out Cold is on. It was just like, well, Out Cold's on, nothing else is on. I was too young at that point to appreciate like the Food Network. Right. So I would just instead watch Out Cold for the 20th time in a it was row. Before Triple D. Bef- way, yeah, triple, way before Triple D, all this stuff. I mean, like, dude, it was the amount of times I watched this movie on Comedy Central between probably 2002 and, and, and 2000, and I don't know, we'll call it 2005. Like, basically, I was in college by 2005, but basically on summers home from college or just, like, in, lazily in high school in my basement. Like, yeah, it's on, whatever, I don't care. And I'm just kind of, like, haphazardly watching it. Yeah, it really is, like, one of those cable cult classic movies um, not as good as a cult classic like Dirty Work or something. Oh, That's God, I love Dirty Work. It's so good. But like, it really is. Like, it's just like, it's almost just like, uh, it's almost got more of a rewatchable Forrest Gump effect where you just put it on and you're just like soothed by just watching what you know. You're like, looking forward to certain bits, certain, like it hits certain notes, whereas it's an easy watch too and it's not this movie doesn't try that hard. It feels like, and I, I mean that in a compliment. Cause we, when we talk about blades of glory or movie like that, that tries really hard and doesn't really land and is objectively not that funny in a lot of moments. Like this has a lot of good comedic actors, obviously like Galifianakis and Keckner are two of the funniest people on the planet. And they just landed yeah. them when they were kind of complete. Nobodies. No, but absolute nobody. I will. Yeah. Keckner had been on a season of Saturday Night live and yeah. uh, legitimately aside from like Lee Majors might've been like the most famous person in the cast. Yeah. I like Thomas Lennon had like, you know, his, uh, he hadn't Reno 911 had this hadn't started yet. So he had only done, uh, from what I had seen Viva Variety and he had been, he's, he was in a million things though. And then, um, the less famous London brother is in it. This is not the guy from Dazed and Confused. People don't know. Wait, the 20- is, it, is this not, is this not the days? I think this is the Dazed and Confused one. Is this he's got thing? this, yeah, he's got this and Dazed and Confused, and the other one has a couple other things. But this is this is about the last time we see Jason London. I he see we see him in Grind, which is another kind of movie like this, which like you saw it on cable, like on VH1 or something. But yeah. um, this is kind of it for him in terms of movies we've seen. This is the Dazed and Confused one. See, I can't even keep them. I can't even tell them apart. One of them has a bad mugshot. I don't. I I hope it's not this one. I don't think it's this one. Fuck, it's so weird. So Jeremy London was the one in Mallrats. I, you know what's weird too with the London brothers is that like they're I know they're twins, obviously, all that stuff, but like they're the same actor. That's the thing. I was kind of thinking about that. If there's only one London brother, do you think that London brother has a better career? Like, I don't know if we needed two London brothers. Like, imagine if we had gotten two Matt Damons or something like right. that. Like, what happens with that? But instead, we get two London brothers. A hundred percent. Yeah, they're the same person. Like, if you, like, if you showed someone, and they always play the same character, kind of, too. Like, what is the difference 
between this dude in Out Cold and the guy in Mallrats. In fact, they're almost fighting for the same thing in a lot of ways. The girl they lost. But imagine if one guy is right. dazed and confused and Mallrats and Out Cold. We're cooking. We're cooking with something. We got a stew going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now you got a stew. There's some, still some meat on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, this one, like, it had some pieces and it's a little, it goes down a little smoother in some ways. And like, a fun thing about revisiting this not as a teenager is a lot of the parts that I looked forward to as a kid still work. The the running bit about when Galifianakis passes out and they do some oh, yeah. stuff. Kekner oh, yeah. riffing, that stuff's still really funny. And then now as an adult, I have seen Casablanca. So I appreciate that this like yeah. screwball snowboarding comedy is riffing on one of the greatest movies of all time. So what's interesting about that and what I could kind of tell from watching it more recently after also being an adult and having done, I'm not trying to like fillet myself here, like literally the least amount, the least amount possible of like film work that you could do in terms of rewrites and stuff like that. And knowing a couple filmmakers in Austin who made like, I, I'm, um, or you probably heard of him recently, Bradley Jackson, the guy that did Facing Nolan. The yes, documentary. yes, yes. Okay, so I'm like, loosely friends with him we've had lunch a couple of times he used to make videos for tfm back in the day oh sick um and um like we were like like if i texted him and he'd be like oh shit long time no see like you want to grab a beer maybe but we're twitter friends at least now at this point but i've had lunches with him to talk professional stuff and i've worked with him professionally and he made the movie um it's called balls out have you ever heard of that it sounds familiar but it's not landing so you should, it should be eventually on your list to do. Uh, it's got a pretty loaded cast uh, pretty early, but before these people were famous, we're talking like Kate McKinnon, uh, Jay Farrow, uh, a couple other people like that. Now the movie called Balls Out, right? And, and essentially like a studio or some crappy studio picked it up and it was never going to go to theaters or not seriously go to theaters. It was on screens, but not really. And anyway, um, you know, this crappy studio. And this is the same thing that happened with the total frat movie. That's a story for another day. But essentially they're like, we got to make this marketable and raunchy, which is like something no one ever wants in the way that the idiot, like 60 year old studio people want. And so they renamed Bradley Jackson's movie from intramural. It was all about intramural college sports. It's about a guy in his last semester of college getting back in the game one last time. Cause he had like a bad breakup or something and you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they were like, oh, we got to name it something like cooler and like sexier that where teens will be like, dude, I bet there's like titties in this movie. So they named it Balls Out. And he hated that name, but he had to like sacrifice that. And there, there was, man, there's a couple other people in that movie too. I, I highly recommend adding it to your list, either Patreon. Yeah, we'll put it on, yeah, we'll put it on the list. I could honestly, you could probably get Brad. That would be do. ideal. That that's yeah. I've already got the wheel spinning. That sounds like a great time. Yeah. And so with this out cold situation, and I noticed this in, in the writing and in the Casablanca references. So one thing that was interesting in the writing was, um, A, there were a lot of almost like vignettes, right? There were a lot of like not borderline non sequiturs, um, bits, I guess, if you will. And B, uh, like the high level reference stuff to like Casablanca that has no place in a snowboarding teen raunchy comedy movie. So what I get, what I gather from all of that is that like a pretty smart, funny guy wrote this movie and it got, you know, um, not sacrificed. Um, what do you call it? Uh, when you would compromise to death, 
it got compromised to death and it and it still came out pretty good because lucky for him there was a, clearly a ton of talent on screen that helped uh i assume with like improvisation and clearly like he st- he still got enough editorial power or he just had a good editor god knows what good producer who kept enough soul in the movie to make it not uh just like a total sellout piece of crap um you know just like yeah like boobs and blah 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 well in the it's kind of in the exact opposite thing you're saying though with um the studio needing to like pick it up make it more raunchy whatever the they had i i, li- I actually right before we started recording i was listening to a podcast that the director did called i want to give credit to the show even though it's not on anymore i think classic american movies and he did an episode i was listening to a little bit of it and it was you know first feature whatever and so this comes out i think this comes out three years before wedding crasher and the 40 year old version so three years before the r-rated comedy is a thing again Mm -hmm. and so they had stuff that was cut out they had more comedic bits and you know more swearing and and stuff like that but it, it was more based off the the like them doing a lot of improv and they mentioned there were kind of two factions in the cast of there was the, the comedic, the Keckners, the Galifianakis's, the directors were like this. The guy who played Pigpen were like this dude wanting to do a lot of improv and riffing on stuff and just wanting to, to get that going. Then you had like your Lee majors and then uh, the London brother, Jason London was a little more like I'm an actor. I'm not, you know, not in the comedy right. troupe. So, and it seems like that faction and the studio kind of wore, we need to make this marketable. This needs to be PG 13 so kids can see it and stuff like that. And it kind of took away from a little bit of original vision in that regard. I, I'm sure they did. And yeah, you're right. It, it was before trying to think like the big, I think the biggest R rated comedy of that, like 2001. Like I know Jane Silent Bob came out in 2001. Yeah. Like American Pie had just come out and that was R, I think. But it yeah. really wasn't like the R rated comedy, what it was like. 40 year virgin and wedding crashers blew blew it yeah. open and then suddenly the that that stuff. lets us have the hangover and things like that yeah the appetite stuff's what really blew yeah. it open no i could tell and from watching it um unrated and then like watching just some clips online too just to like see if like gag reel stuff and just see if there's anything different um i mean they're dropping like you know f-bombs not fuck f-bombs and stuff like that which was very just like raunchy for the day type of thing and um, obviously you don't see that on Comedy Central, like when you're watching it on cable. Uh, and I almost wonder if they had like the plan, like, yeah, this is probably not like, I hope it does well in theaters, but probably not. But you know what? Like this could crush on syndication. We could just sell, we could make Comedy Central play this on replay forever. You have to, people who don't know or don't remember that era of Comedy Central was like, they play like five hours straight of Saturday Night Live in the middle of the day. You know yeah. what I mean? That's how I knew Will feral and stuff from Saturday Night Live. I wasn't, I was doing stuff. I was in high school or I was playing video games. Like I wasn't staying up for Saturday Night Live. I caught him like a year later on Comedy Central. Yeah. And then they'd, they'd play a lot of the Sandler movies. Like those would run a ton on Comedy Central. Like it was a great time for it. And this, this movie slotted in well. And I think that's why it did a lot better with our generation because it did, did catch that wave. It was funny enough for that. Like there are, there are moments in this movie that make me like the, 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 the pass out when they put him in the front seat of the car and spin oh, the car around is fucking hilarious. Like you go to college dreaming to do that to someone. Oh yeah. Oh, and that's the other thing where I was like, there's, you can like sense the parts of the movie that are like real and like clearly what they were doing to Galifianakis, for example, over and over again. And probably the brothers beating each other up too. like this writer saw that somewhere. 
Like that's just pulled directly from his life somewhere or maybe the director, whatever. But like, that was real. Like that's, so it's really funny. Like you have these like high level references, these like very real moments from someone's life. They have to be like, that's, the, that's just not the type of thing you make up, I feel like. And then, you know, you have the teen comedy stuff shoved in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. So w- would you say this is a Hall of Fame all-star starter bench warmer sports comedy, I guess? Um, I actually think this is like an all-star, but it's like a guy who actually doesn't get selected to the all-star game, but should have because people don't value his like on base percentage. I like that. I like that. I mean, again, legitimate funny moments like this. You could say it's a starter of a movie, but it has some also like this. This guy will have a random night where he scores 41 points and you're just like, holy shit, look at this guy. Like what a great night. And then like some nights he scores, you know, he scores nine points and he fouls out. What, what this guy does, it doesn't show up in the box score. (laughs) Big team guy, big team guy, this movie, uh, the IMDb trivia. There's, there's some interesting stuff here. Um, so this was actually, this isn't from IMDb. This is, I found it. I found another interview that directors gave, uh, they were asked who else auditioned and was being considered for Rick. And now remember this is 2000. They're probably casting this in 99, 2000. Yeah. I remember James Franco game came in and gave some crazy version. It was almost more of a Keanu Reeves Reeves vibe. He had just played James Dean in a made for TV movie. I remember sitting there thinking like, man, he's so confident. I don't know if I could hang out with that guy. (laughs) I think Franco would have been good. My favorite like comedy version of Franco is in something like this is the end or uh, the interview when he's kind of playing a fucking idiot. Yeah. But I think Rick is definitely our lead. He's definitely kind of like Randall Pink. They're he's supposed to be like Randall Pink Floyd in Days and Confused. Like we're always just, everyone's supposed to kind of look up to him, but is, I mean, it is Pink Floyd from Days yeah. and Confused. Like there's, I, there's yeah. Same no guy. difference. Yeah. Same guy. And Franco has a little Franco. I mean, aside from whatever is going on with Franco right now, it seems like he's done some, some pretty poor things. Had a lot of people cut him out of his life. Apparently Franco can get to an elite level. Like he's, he's just, a, he's got a different level of charisma. I mean, you think we see him in Spider-Man, I think like a year after this movie comes out and he's yeah. just like, he's good looking. He's charismatic. He's, there's just something about the guy that I think grounds like, I, I think the movie could have actually used that gravity in the lead because I think too much it relies on needing Galifianakis and needing Keckner to just be funny. And then we get back to, you know, Jason London and his, we got a, the soul patch is, is horrendous. Yeah. It, I mean, the London, like, they're almost like too much of an everyman. You know what I mean? Where they like, they're like a everyman without the charisma. Yeah. Like they just don't, they just, fade into the background it's it's honestly and i don't want to accuse the movie of writing it this way because i don't think it was written this way but it, it, it like london plays like the everyman who's just like things happen to and then like he's got colorful characters around him and i mean that's the same thing that happens in days in confused to be honest like how much yeah. do you give a shit about pink floyd like randall floyd or whatever like you don't you you just don't Oh, you care about every other character. Pretty much everyone blows them off the screen between um, McConaughey, Cole Hauser. Cole Hauser's fucking amazing in that movie. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's kind of the same thing. I think with this movie, I think if Rick, I, I was get, I'm going to step on literally the last category of how to improve it. But I was like, if you can catch in this movie, 
And it would have, it, it might not have helped it at the time. It might have helped it become, get revisited even more. But if you can catch a guy who's kind of, and I mean, and this is like, this is the most chance thing ever. You can't really say like, this guy is going to be great. But if you catch someone from that period, who's like on a rocket ship and you catch them right as it's taking off, like, um, yeah. like Franco or, you know, like a Ryan Gosling, like coming off, remember the Titans is a, is a bit player there. If you catch someone who has that yeah. kind of gravity, then that takes the movie to a different level because that comes through on screen. I like Gosling more in that role. I think than Franco, cause Franco, like, he is when he does like he's a brilliant comedic actor, but very rarely as like a straight man or that's true. And person. it's true. And, and most of those roles have kind of bombed him as a straight man. Like yeah, he, does, we, he does Annapolis pretty soon after this. Yeah, I think another one. The word I think I tweeted this once years ago. It was um, I was like, I'm glad Flyboys came out after every <laughs> World War One veteran was already dead. <laughs> forgot about fly boys it's tough. so bad i will they reference it and this is the end this is pistol <laughs> oh yeah the pistol <laughs> the, the the prop the prop gun yeah. that mcbride takes it's fucking crazy yeah i gosling though is great like gosling i like he can play like straight funny uh like um crazy stupid love crazy stupid love is yeah. he's great like I you, think, you bring that guy into this and you yep. you could see he could play the the heart sick thing but he could also be the guy that everyone always, everyone always leans on. Like he's supposed yeah. to be the leader in this group. And with Rick, is Rick is, he's a, he's kind of a big shrug really. He is. Yeah. And it is, it comes off as such a badly written main character, which is actually a problem. That is a main thing that like screenwriters have a problem with when you're in like screenwriting class or, or uh, when you're getting like tips on screenwriting and stuff like that, is that people tend to, Oh, like underdo the main character and like really do like the uh, ancillary characters well like kind of like i mean this is like basically a first movie for everybody involved right mm-hmm. like it, like writer directors stuff like that and obviously it's not the first thing that that writer's ever written of course but it's really hard to write the main character because a lot of times you just put yourself in there and like you're just like yeah now i moved to here and now i moved to here and i don't care about myself i care about all these other funny characters and I don't know if the, the character was actually written that way, but London plays it that way. Like yeah. you just like, all I have to do is be here. And like, yeah. there's, there's not, there's not really a whole lot of depth. And and to be honest, there's not really a whole lot of depth to anyone in this movie, except <laughs> other people just get to have a little more fun and, and, and do different things where London kind of has to play like heartsick puppy for a lot. Yeah. Of it. Now I will say as much of a shrug as he is for a lot of it, his delivery of the words Pedro O'Hornies. Pedro will always have Pedro O'Hornies is, is a great line. Yeah. Yeah. He straight faced did that so well. Oh, I mean, it was a VO, but still like he straight delivered that so well. And then knowing that that was his line turning from the margarita machine or whatever, that's about as good as that, as that could have possibly done. Yeah, the the Casablanca hits, especially like now having seen it, like when I was younger, you know, it was like whatever. But looking like I I pulled it, you know, loosely based on Casablanca, you know, they do the, uh, you know, Rick says of all the bars and all the ski towns in Alaska, much yeah. like of all the gin joints and all the towns in the world. Uh, when Rick is in the the white tux at the the party, that's like Humphrey Bogart's tux, and then the, yeah. you know, we'll always have Pedro Hornies, is we'll always have Paris, we'll always have Paris. By the way. 
the weird thing about that, I don't know if you're going to get into soundtrack later or not, but like this movie came out in 2001 and he's like, oh, don't play that song. That song reminds me of her. Island in the Sun came out probably within like two months of this movie and literally <laughs> didn't had had not come out when it was written. I mean, I that kind of ties into the the least authentic part of this movie for me. If we want to get in if we want to get into the most authentic and the least authentic. So there's two main things. One of them has to do with the the this vacation where he meets Anna. One the the we island in the sun coming out. It's like when was this? How you and I, you know, we're we're in the adult world now, taking off. How did Rick and Luke get three weeks off of work to to hang out in Mexico? Because they I mean, look no, similar they, age. They, they are they supposed to be thirties? Because a 23, 24 year old who just like works ski towns and shit like that, like. Although I will say, if you're on spring break, you're working in March in a ski town for sure. Like oh, yeah. that's people go on spring break to ski town, so that is a suspect story detail. But yeah, maybe uh, that was like the peak of summer, just down in Mexico in July. Right. Imagine it's living in Alaska and going down to Mexico in July for three weeks. What that's going to do to you? God, can't imagine. But I mean, I would want to get the hell out of there. I've been to ski towns in the summer, and it's a different vibe. You don't you just don't have a job, or if yeah. you your job switches from like pretty okay paying to like literal minimum wage so it, like, it might be that it might be the just that it was seasonal the 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 three weeks where he met where he met anna but yeah um i have another thing in this this one that's it's pretty unrealistic to me is is jenny sitting around and waiting for rick yeah like i i get it like you know there's not a lot of choice on that mountain for her but well, there's meant- even less choice for for the guy. Like she is the best looking woman on that mountain. She might be the only woman on that mountain, and she's she's waiting around for the guy who's just a human shrug. I would, yeah. Well, he's like, but he's the coolest guy on the mountain. So you know, he's got he's the quarterback in the mountain. <laughs> he really is. He's QB one, QB one, QB one in the mountain. Good Lord. That's like, I swear to God, those two are like twins that split one personality. Like they what? They, like they, there's two bodies, but one soul. And they each got half. That's the thing. If, if you, if you have Jenny and she's like, she's pining over Gosling and she's like, you know, she's telling him like you, whenever you figure it out, like you just let me know. Then it's like, yeah, you know, it's Ryan Gosling. That makes right. sense. Yeah. With this, it's just like, what are you, Jenny, what are you doing? Like, find anyone else. Right. There was a couple other good looking dudes on there. I mean, even Pigpen was a good looking guy. You don't want that personality, but, yeah. you know. And, you and Jenny's great. Jenny's like impossibly cool. Oh, that is the other thing I, I will say is, and that, this was probably more on the writer than the studio, but it was like, and I don't really care because I like the movie, but like it, it was like very, a lot of archetypal characters right like the cool chick and then the lost love and then like i don't know the funny black guy and the the like two i guess they split the uh comic relief in two like right with uh galifianakis and and pig pen and then they had like the hardcore extra comic relief in keckner um and then a little bit i guess in um i'm not even gonna say the actor's name his name is roy Roy, Roy from the office. Yeah. Yeah. David. Uh, yeah. Being like closeted gay. That was a couple bits as well, for sure. Like the, or like the guy who claims he gets laid all the time and is closeted gay. Um, 
which is I I will say I is if you're gonna do a a closeted gay bit, I would rather do the guy overcompensating than the guy than like I don't know something. I don't think that's necessarily as insulting as other closeted gay stereotypes could be. So that I was, thought this movie actually handled the the gay. I mean, it's 2001 and very like progressively, it, like awesome. Not really any other well, way to put it. When they're all like, we all look, Lance. Everybody knows. Nobody cares. Like awesome. Hell yeah. I've been doing a lot of thinking, a lot of drinking, and a lot of thinking. A lot of thinking about why I act the way I do. Why I feel the need to have countless sexual conquests, one after the other. And I think it's due to the fact that I'm, uh, I don't know how to say this. Um, I'm gay. No, what? Gay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on, guys. Mr. October batting for the other team? Everybody knows, nobody cares. It's okay. You know, I mean, if you weren't gay, you'd be a pretty weird guy. Here's the thing with that that I think is so interesting and I think is like, look, I I might be just coming off as an old man here, like it was better back in my day. But like, it's so, I will say this at least. So four years before this movie came out, uh, South Park won a GLAAD award for uh, the Big Gay Owl's Big Gay Boat Ride, right? And if you've seen that episode, if you haven't seen that episode, it's literally the most absurd gay stereotype you could, it's like the, the birdcage on PCP. Like he's like, hello, la, la, la. Like all, like it's just, he's Big Gay Owl. Like Big Gay Owl. Big Gay Owl. That won a GLAAD award because um, of its portrayal of accepting gay people or whatever. And I guarantee if uh, a lot of, activists watch it now they would be just nothing but offended by it the whole way and i think in a lot of ways they would be offended by the portrayal in in uh out cold as well uh i mean they like i said they drop at least one f-bomb he's like yeah i was going to gay practice too or i understand i got gay practice later or whatever but stronger um but the thing is about that though and i tell this to people is like that they're not preaching to the choir like, right, like, this is a movie telling, like, a 16-year-old boy that, like, yeah, it doesn't matter if people are gay, right? Like, don't, there is no reason, literally no reason to appease the people who are already okay with gay people. There's no reason to preach to that. That is useless. Virtue signaling, if you will, if you want to be really twittery about it. Um so I always love seeing like fascinating things like that. And I had totally forgotten about it, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just like, oh yeah. And I was almost just like, is this like the better way to do it really? Like, because it's showing real or real-ish male characters accepting a gay guy, right? And I don't know that I necessarily see that as much anymore in in media it's a little more uh on eggshells i guess whereas these guys are like yeah shut up bro i don't care you have a beer and like that but that is a to me a more real world reaction to it like a more real world acceptance reaction to it than um i guess what we see in media today but you know what maybe that's how kids are today so i don't know but yeah i don't know it's great like it is great great job and that is the type of thing where i guarantee you that that resonated that resonated with people. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Big gay out four years earlier. So it didn't work with me. Like I was already good to go. 
but other people. For other people, this is this is big. Um, before we get into what worked, for want to get into the, like the most realistic or most authentic part of this movie, the general plot. I mean, this is it's a tale as old as time. It's used all the time, but it still works. Uh, a, a gentrification plot line, corporation pulling out, uh, pushing out a private owner. Like that's, I mean, yeah. that is even more. You know, twenty years after this movie has come out, that is even more the story of this country. It all it always right. lands. It's always realistic. Yeah, it's evergreen if you will. Yeah. And, um, you know, realistic or authentic, like mountain towns just seem like a great time. That might just be what word might not be realistic, but like mountain towns, like in movies and mountain towns, like I love a uh, hot tub time machine, like a family member. And a lot oh. of that is because of the, the setting Kodiak Valley, 1985. Like, love it. That was a gentrified. That was an already gentrified mountain town. Yes. Yes. it was. Uh, I, so uh, in 2014, when I was still at TFM, I got sent on Bud, trips by Bud Light all the time to promote their crap. Um, whatever, their events, their new products, whatever is awesome. Um, in 2014, they sent me to the first Whatever USA. Do you remember that? Yes, I remember Whatever USA. Two Whatever USAs that they threw. The first one was in Crested Butte, Colorado in September, a literal ski town. In September, so before the snow, there was no snow. It was the end of summer. It had not fallen yet. And man, ski towns are wild. Like they are. So like everyone, like they they bought out like the main street and stuff. So everyone in the main street, they were townies. and Or I mean, they were um, not townies. They're tourists or whatever. Um, but me and the other TFM guy that went, the, the video guy, um, we were just like, hanging out moving around town and meeting people and we were meet we were press so we were allowed to kind of go more places press i, I press. can't hear hard enough we were allowed to go more places and explore like the tour the actual winners who got to just like go they were kind of more like herded around like there's this event go to the go-karts and blah blah blah. we did that crap too but we kind of wanted more go around and also weed was already legal in colorado at this time and that was like still a novelty now it's like half the country like it's like mostly legal in Oklahoma of all places. I wish it was the same, but we uh, ran into these townies and they were literally like, they were ski dudes, snowboard dudes who like in the winter, once, once that powder fell, you know, they were working the, they were working the mountain. They were giving lessons, all that stuff. They didn't have shit to do right now. Like they didn't have shit to do. And also they didn't even really have to work that weekend. One of them was a paramedic on his off time, but the other ones like didn't really have to work because they were basically getting paid by Bud Light to like let them use the town. Like they just paid the whole city and like the citizens got paid out and for, for their parking and shit like that, all this stuff. So we went up into their apartment and like, oh my God, it looks exactly like every house in out cold i mean <laughs> and there was a bong i mean it, and it, like everybody's seen a root like a bong or whatever but i mean like it was just beers bongs weed everything like we smoked weed with them and got really drunk with them for a while stuff like that i was like do you have anything other than a bud light in your fridge because i'd had like way too many at that point um just on pure taste alone and but yeah man like i mean they fit every they nailed the ski town workers, mountain town workers, whatever you want to call it, like the ski people, like, oh my God, it was the exact same people. It makes for a great just crew of uh, crew of people, lifestyle for a movie, setting for a movie. Like I'm all for more mountain town comedies. Like I love this. I love, out, I love a hot to time machine. Like give me some more. 
Oh yeah. Though well, the problem with the reason there's not more on from the perspective of the out cold perspective, which is the people that work it, is because um, those people will never write a movie. That's true. Like they don't. They're living life. Like they're not going to sit down and waste their time in front of a computer. Right. Like they're, they're also all getting pushed out by big corporations buying places and naming it Snow Nook and turning it into yeah, right. turning turning it into resorts only for the top one percent which is yeah. just everything in this world. Uh, Rob, let's take a quick ad break and then get into what worked. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so... What worked about this one? Why do we come back to it? Why is why is this one a cult movie that that worked? I'll start with ninety minute runtime. Love more ninety minute comedies. Love a ninety minute comedy. Didn't try to stretch it out too long. This yeah. this doesn't try to do too much. Very bizarre to me at this day in this day and age when there is a comedy out. Not that they are overly long all the time and everything, but like in the age of like TikTok and stuff like that. Like I mean. I guess you can have a long comedy as long as there's not long set pieces necessarily, right? Like you need cut, 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 scene, 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 blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like this is a compact, efficient movie. Um, with, by the way, I think it does, it would kind of appeal to the current generation. I mean, our generation was pretty like ADD as well. Um, like I said, a lot of vignettes, right? A lot of asides um, messing with Galifianakis that had nothing to do with the story. That wasn't even a B story. Yeah. Right. There was no story there. Like those are basically vignettes. That is just a running gag. Like it's not. And, and that, so that type of stuff gives it life too, because it breaks up what is, um, you know, it's a, it's a story that works, but it's not necessarily a, I mean, it's a, it's a true narrative. It's true to life narrative, but it's not necessarily like hyper compelling just because it happens a lot in movies. It wasn't so the, a story that like, I'm going to put the movie on my back and I'm going to carry you through it. Like, not not like that. We needed the we needed the funny bits with Galifianakis. We needed the random little instance of him and him throwing pig pen into a table full of beer bottles when they're shit faced right. at the end of the night. We needed Keckner in his his randomness. We needed to be able to drop him in, you know, the, like the drug testing scene and stuff like that. Like we yeah. needed yeah. all these little things like that. Even little bits. I loved like um, I mean, there's no reason for this. It literally is that this joke is there for that joke. And then the guy's just kind of there afterwards, but that she's dating or with or whatever, a handicapped guy, and they're going to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> right. And he's like, Hey, and he's handsome and everything. And he just like comes out wheels out. And then they're all just reacting to it like idiots. 
And then Pigpen like punches him in the leg and stuff like that. Like that, there is no, the story's not being moved forward at all in that scene. At all. Like he literally, London's like, oh, I got to go because I got to do this thing. Like London, he might as well just be like, okay, cool. You guys stay here. I got to go to the story. You guys, you guys stay here and be funny. I'm going to bounce. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and that's what, that's another reason it works. Cause it's just like, it's a movie where you can look up and it's something funny is probably happening in that moment. Yeah. It doesn't make you wait too long for laughs. It, it keeps, uh-huh. it keeps consistently going and it has enough of these, enough of these bit players to do something. I mean, the thing that is the most out of left field is the chat room scene between Pigpen and Lennon getting on. And there was the, the MacGuffin in the beginning of, of Kackner asking Pigpen, you ever been in one of these lesbian chat rooms, which is like <laughs> definitely a sign of the times. Yeah. But then we have this like offshoot of them, like two minutes just doing 2001 sex into each other. And then we get the payoff of Lennon being pantsless in the chair. And it's like, right. That served served no purpose in this movie. It's not addressed. There, there's not like they didn't. That's a another good thing about this movie is it didn't take any bits too far because in a worse movie they would have had the the lesbian chat room scene between Lennon and Pigpen and they would have made that like a little like side plot and then eventually they're meeting up or something like that or they think and instead it's like this funny one off. It doesn't do too much. It's just like them sending these messages and we get that payoff and then we're done with it. It's funny. Yeah. We laughed. Let's move on. Yeah, I, exactly. I mean, it's just, it just, the movie, man, it's so funny because it feels like in a lot of ways it was really overcompromised and it still is just so efficient with its time and still they got a lot of what they wanted. I don't know if it's because the studio just had already punted on it or what, because I mean, nobody's in it. Right. As for as far as 2001 goes, nobody's in it. Yeah. Literally the most famous person in it is Lee Majors. Imagine I, grabbing this cat. I mean, you can't grab Lee Majors now, but like imagine grabbing this cast in 2020, how expensive it is because Galifianakis and Keckner plus uh, Jenny, AJ Cook, I, I think did like a 10 year run on Criminal Minds. I didn't watch right. Criminal Minds, but I'd imagine she lives in a great house. Uh, yeah, she's the richest of anyone in that movie. Probably. Probably so. Like yeah. people are like, what? That kind of movie stars? Like, no, no, no. You do ten years on the CBS show. You, your house is literally built out of money. You gotta imagine David Denman did good from The Office too. He didn't do like you know he he did do like uh, Steve Carell good, but I gotta imagine he did pretty well. Oh yeah, wait, only look at how many off how many episodes of The Office he's in because I mean like that was one of that people will say now like oh syndication ain't what it used to be and that's true but it was still what it used to be uh, a back then. And B, if there was one show that is uh, sort of like still has the old syndication uh, love in the new syndication environment, it is the office. Like everyone binges the office. It's It's probably the office and modern family. I think our last two like big time syndication shows like that. Yeah. Um, And then, well, and big bang theory that ended around the same time. uh, Yeah. Yeah uh 31 episodes yeah man he's good to go that's great happy for him always yeah. happy when someone cashes out yeah 100 percent. it's great uh it's a great cast and it's yeah i mean at, most of it worked i mean it really like there's some stuff where you're just like uh, i might have laughed at that when i was 14 and, and i won't now and not even like like gay jokes or anything like that just like kind of stuff that's more just like of the era like a 2001 joke that i don't even remember what it's about type of thing but like 
like it sticks around and, and and honestly new things came to me because like when i was watching that in 2002 2003 2004 um i was you know that's sophomore to senior year of high school so i was like drinking right like i was drinking a little bit uh to a fair amount but like it was basically pre-college so like once you go to college in like early 20s and you see them like messing with Galifianakis, like that brings on a whole new level to me of that, like understanding that humor, or like, I guess, relating to it type of thing. I couldn't relate to that as a 15 year old. Yeah. I would say the, the Galifianakis passing out bits, the, the car, the, uh, the bear licking his, licking his Johnson after, uh, after passing out. And then, um, this isn't a pass out one, but the, the dick in the hot tub, are the yeah. three things from this movie that I think I remember the most vividly. Oh yeah. The bear is everything. Well, the bear also always played, I feel like on every comedy central promo. Yeah. You know, like, Oh, cold up next. Pull it's, the bear. it's a safe, safe yeah. joke to put on the, uh, put in the promo. Right. But it's like the joke you care the least about when you actually watch it. Like you don't even hardly laugh at that one. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more the car. Oh, the car is, I want to do that. So oh, so, so much. Galifianakis in this one, like landing him is just stroke of stroke of luck. I mean, you know, like I, I'm sure he was, you know, funny at the time was in, you know, comedy in the comedy world and stuff like that. But I mean, in this one, he's, he's funny. He's, he brings the kind of physical comedy, like the, the facial comedy that he kind of perfects in later movies. And he's also, oh, yeah. he also serves as Rick's sounding board. Like it's interesting. He's a lot, you know, and a few years after this, he turns into like the meme and the very spacey, aloof guy. You know, you're Alan, you're the character you played in Due Date. But like, this guy's right. kind of sharp, but he's also like, he's he's also a drunk piece of shit, which makes it even funnier. Like, he's all he's that guy. I mean, you know the type. He's this, always hungover, always hungover. This, this is not a typical Galifianakis role. Like, no. he's kind of a straight man. That's exactly it. He's not. He's not the guy. Keckner is the one who's zany and he's probably drunk all the time. Like Galifianakis is the straight man, but he's just the guy who's like, he's living in a mountain town. He's in his late twenties, early thirties. He's just partying really hard every night, you know, having like one, one or two too many. And that's that guy. And he's, and then he's, you know, he's Rick sounding board. Like the scene when Anna shows up and they're having that conversation, you know, and he's like, I know why you're here. Don't, or I don't know why you're here, but like, leave him alone. You know, that's yeah. something, something like that. Something that's like, he's being emotionally sensitive to his friend's needs and kind of understands, you know, in, in another Galifianakis role, he's like saying something really cringy and awkward and, and doing something like that. Yeah. And I actually, I actually kind of like seeing Galifianakis in this zone. Yeah, no, cause he's a really smart cutting guy actually, but he does kind of lean into a little bit more of the wackiness. And yeah, like he would have been like, I don't know, meaner or just like weirder whatever yeah it is i think uh he was clearly still allowed to like improvise a lot and all that stuff but like he i don't know if he felt the need to be more restrained or he felt like he didn't have the freedom like he had he clearly had some freedom but like he didn't have he also certainly had uh uh, did not have the freedom that he would have today or even 10 years ago right like he didn't he didn't have the freedom he had in the hangover where it's a todd phillips movie and it's just like we're getting ridiculous we're going somewhere with this right and is it i thought he was great i thought he's great that you know what's funny about zach galifianakis and that too so this was playing all the time on comedy central and then 
what started playing on Comedy Central like right after that was do you remember the comedians of comedy? Yes. I don't know. It has like Pat, Patton Oswalt, Brian Posehn, uh, Maria Bamford, and Galifianakis, uh, maybe someone else too. But it, and in it, Galifianakis like plays the piano a lot in his stand up. And I remember seeing it, and this is just like dumb Rob, 20, 19 year old brain, where I was just like, why the fuck is the guy from Out Cold trying to do stand up? Like, I just didn't understand the world. Like, I, it's like me being stupid, but I was just watching that and I was like, dude, just keep doing movies. What? I don't know. No one cares about this. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, this guy's like hilarious. And then I realized later that he was a stand up, basically, and not an actor. Um, yeah, but like, it was, it's really weird. That, that that for an entire generation of people like i the, as soon as you dm me about doing this movie i was like oh where where i learned who zach galifianakis was yeah yeah and that's why people revisit it too because it's like i now he's famous and i want to you know go watch everything he's ever done mm-hmm. and he's whatever anyone's feelings about the movie i think he's really really good in this and I think I think Keckner's really funny in this too. I think it's like shades of Champ Kind. Like you can see the yeah. essence right there. I mean, Keckner is like one degree away from Champ Kind. Yeah, uh, apparently he is. I mean, Keckner has ran into some recent trouble on the roads, and yeah. uh, <laughs> seems to be very Champ Kind. Yeah. Um, but I was gonna say too, like one thing that impressed me with is like, um, Galifianakis was like just a good actor in this. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. more so a good actor than a comedic actor. He is in a movie. I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's 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 more it's more serious. Uh, it's kind of a funny story. And oh yes, yes. And he is he is actually very very good in that. Mm-hmm. And that that is a that is a much more serious role. He take he takes on some weight with that one. Yeah. Um. That that one he's that one he's very good in. And you can see very kind true. of shades of that in this. Oh yeah, no, he is. A, yeah, he is fantastic in that movie. I, I think I watched it like it's been so long. I watched it like right after it came out. Um, I think it did an HBO run. Yeah, and it was just like at the time for me, like in college, right out of college. Oh, I'm gonna watch like all these like indie indie-ish movies. Um, like movies, blah blah blah. Oh yeah, um, yeah. We, we've all gone like. Oh, what what did you get from Netflix? Like, oh, you know. This this little indie I got waltz with Bashir, you know this like <laughs> Richard Linklater or it's not Linklater he did uh, a Scanner Darkly was Linklater's animated movie. yeah so stuff like that um, something else about this one I don't know if this worked or not but like something watching on on repeat like watching this for the thousandth time I realized so Barry's talking about you know he's like you know I had this I was in the X Games and I had the snowboard accident and got paralyzed and like you know they showed on the blue you know biggest sports bloopers or something like that. They're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. So in this hypothetical universe, there's a sports blooper show that opens with a video of a guy getting paralyzed. You know, that seems like something that would have happened in. So like what he was paralyzed. Let's say the movie takes place in 2001. He's probably, and he's a doctor. So that means he was probably paralyzed before he became a doctor that's his pivot right becoming a doctor so he was paralyzed let's call it like 92 and then goes to med school after a year of dealing with himself uh and all the unfortunate things yeah that sounds like something people something that would happen in the 90s early yeah, 2000s that's true 100 percent. a lot I more a lot more laugh at people's pain i mean 
you know, we made Jackass the biggest thing in the world right around oh, that, that period. And let let me be clear, Jackass is one of the funniest things to ever. Oh, it's fantastic! Ever great screens. But I mean, you also had like bum fights and stuff. <laughs> uh, like, Kim- Kimbo Slice. Yeah, we, yeah, we made I Kimbo mean, Slice big. Yeah, there was, I mean, I've, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that that would not, of course, be on ESPN now, but. Um, Rob, let me tell you a simple joy that you're going to get to experience as a parent in like, you know, six to eight years. I yeah. I showed my kid, I obviously, I'm not going to show him all of Jackass, but I showed him the uh, the riot, the, the like the riot gear one, the one where it's the machine with all the balls and it's, yeah. it's Knoxville and Ryan Dunn and Bam. And yeah. I showed my kid that and he just, he lost his mind laughing. And I was like, I'm so glad that this transcends generation. Cause it's just one of my, one of my favorite Bam. Are you crying? Oh <laughs> God. It's incredible. Oh man. Yeah. I can't wait. Uh, yeah. You're, you're going to enjoy that. But back to this one, I want to transition into what didn't work because on the subject of Barry, um, one of the, so the thing in, in Casablanca where, the the guy I, I can't remember the character's name, but the guy that that Humphrey Bogart's love interest is actually married to mm-hmm. is kind of like he is he certainly stands for something, he stands for his ideals, but he's very much like about himself. He's he's more about the cause than right. than his romantic partner. And so you're you kind of have that pull of you, you know, you want her and Humphrey Bogart to be together and he, you know, he sends her off at the end, but you're like, it could have worked with this, like it's obviously like Barry is awesome. He is a great dude. He helps out these shit lords who work at the, you know, who work at the right. ski resort. He's a doctor. He was an ex. Like he is better than Rick in always. Like Rick is fine. Barry is great. But it kind of makes you be like, man, Anna fucking sucks because of that. Yeah. Like, cause this guy's awesome. Yeah. It's almost like, I, I don't know. I mean, again, it's, it's in a lot of ways, it seems like the story was beside the point. Yeah. right like vehicle to do all these other things to have the coming out scene all the galifianakis scenes keckner like it's almost like i need to have some flimsy story so that i can hook on every crazy fucking person i've seen in a mountain and just show them off but no one's gonna let me do that on its own so i've got to attach them to a classic story of love and fighting the the big guy, fighting the man. But all of that's like beside the point. Like I guarantee you too, he probably did know someone that shit in a piss cup for a drug test. Yes. That man, I I love that. That's still like, yeah. it, it worked for 12 year old me. It works for 31 year old me. Oh, when yeah. he puts, when it's he puts good. the shit on the piss cup, I love it. Mm, I love that smell. Yeah, there we go. That's the smell of you all getting fired. What? Fire. What? Welcome to your first random drug test. I'll need you to fill these cups. Go make tinkle, or it's your job. I don't have to write a test to tell you that I take drugs. Pink test. You go to the bathroom in the cup. Okay. It was a good turd, too. Like, it was a good turd for it. No, great. Great little movie turd. I, with what didn't work, like, it's hard to be too picky with this one, because it's kind of, it, tried so little in terms of you know because you're not that concerned about the plot like you know there's a case like jason london soul patch didn't work that's an obvious thing like we you know we, we right. shave that thing off sign sign of the times but it's shave like, it off now now yeah. now it works probably in 2001 2001 like is there anything glaring that really didn't work with this one 
Um, I don't know. Like they weren't bad or maybe this is another section. I forgot. Like they weren't bad snowboarders. Uh, no, they, really- I mean, they, they got a bunch of people who could actually snowboard and did that. That's the good thing about snowboarding is like, you can throw the helmet and the, the goggles on someone and it could be anybody. Oh yeah. Oh, I will say this. This is like a minor quip of one thing that didn't work. Not the joke, but like, so obviously a dummy being licked by that polar bear because you Definitely. literally can't put a polar bear next to a human being. Yeah. But they did not do a good job. It was like baby in American sniper. <laughs> American sniper baby. Yeah. It was that level of, and I didn't notice that the first, because I never noticed it on Comedy Central because I didn't even have a phone, but I was always watching it essentially like, you know, on my phone, like, ah, uh, you know, like, <laughs> ah, like it was like half watching always. Uh, but watching it like more distinctly this time, I was like, oh yeah, that's a mannequin. Um, that's like, they might've gotten that from the closest like department store. That is very obviously not a human being. Oh yeah. It was from the, it was, a, it was one of the, uh, the, the body, like the, whatchamacallit, the things on uh, fucking the, the mannequins, but it's like from the, from the ski shop. They just pulled the oh, mannequin yeah, yeah, from the yeah, ski yeah. shop and put that one out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's nothing about this movie really to me that, that, I mean, the only thing about the movie that doesn't work is just sort of the main plot, I guess. Like you're, it's not, it's just like your typical n- late nineties to mid two thousands plot. Yeah. This, this movie is high floor, low ceiling. Yes. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Like yeah. th- that's what it is. It's, you know, and, and, and it works fine. Um, let's, let, I want to get into the best scene. Pick it, picking the best scene in this one. Because like you said earlier, it's a bunch of just small vignettes. It's not really, there's not really any gigantic set. I would say the end is really the only extended sequence gigantic set piece. It's all just small things. We're hopping from location. We got our, we got our bar. We got the mountain. We got the, the meeting room where they all, the group convenes. We've got our little places. We got the house. We kind of just hop between those. Um, you know, the, the opener, the king of the mountain thing. It's fun, fun way to meet our cast. Um, the mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite jokes are the contents of Eric's stolen wallet: two dollars, a condom, and a picture of Nancy Reagan. Yes, you're <laughs> which right. has a, has a different connotation now. <laughs> <laughs> sure, maybe Eric knew. Eric Eric might have been early in on the uh, the Nancy Reagan stuff. Um, the Keckner's speech about selling is when, and clearly it was something that he just went and he riffed because even in the credits, they have like random clips of him saying stuff, but the Ford was president. Nixon was in the white house and FDR was running this country into the ground. And essentially it's an anti-capitalism, anti-gentrification speech. Like stump was ahead of it. I was there. Yeah. It was called the eighties. Ford was president. Nixon was in the white house and FDR was running this country into the ground. I was bumming in a hole-in-the-wall town in what is now called Utah. Some fella from Colorado shows up, starts making so-called improvements, right? Before we knew what hit us, the streets are running with latte. No. Yep. It got so bad that a fella that liked to, you know, smoke a little grass or drink a little ripple, crow like a rooster, maybe challenge the mayor's son to a gentleman's duel as uncouth against God. More like bad for real estate values. Stumpy had to go. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I mean, that's probably the funniest straight one minute or whatever of the entire movie. Um, 
I really will say though, just to be different, um, I really did enjoy uh, both the um, sort of like classic comedy of that era uh, framing of the scene. And then I guess like, maybe it didn't take, I don't know if guts is the right word or whatever, didn't to do it uh, then, but maybe it would now. It's just like, I enjoyed when they confronted the dude in the wheelchair with like really kick his ass. <laughs> Uh, and there was a great line from Pigpen that was like, uh, it was like, adults don't fight each other. It's like adults or adults don't beat the crap out of each other. It's like adults beat the adults beat the crap out of other adults every day. <laughs> it was just like great logic. And then when Pigpen punched him in the leg, I really wasn't expecting a lot from that scene. I had completely forgotten there was a guy in a wheelchair in the whole movie, in fact. So that also, uh, I mean, you know what, the key to the, the key to comedy is surprise basically and i was quite surprised by that because i had totally forgotten like you remember the polar bear you, you remember king of the mountain that type of stuff king uh, of the mountain 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 dude and i will say actually, the kink for is kind of a cringy but necessary set slash setup piece as king of the mountain was i enjoyed it oh yeah the sum 41 song going i really oh like yeah that. Oh, great soundtrack, by the way. Great that's- soundtrack. They got some early Jack Johnson. The directors were boys with Jack Johnson. So these were some songs off his first album before he like got famous. Look at that. I mean, and Jack Johnson, by 2002, every asshole with a snowboard was listening to Jack Johnson. Oh, me. I had so much Jack Johnson on my first iPod, just being the whitest guy ever. And you know what? I, I still like Jack Johnson. You'll love it. He has a new album. I haven't listened to that yet. But He's coming to Austin in uh, August. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? They're not melted into the ground by the <laughs> Um the well we have we haven't talked about the hot tub scene as much. Like that it's dream scenario for that character for like the first half of it, and then she has the abrupt bedtime, which would be the fucking nightmare zone. And then yeah. uh, dick and then dick in the hot tub. I would love to know the the genesis of that scene. Like, all right, guys. We're, we're going to do a dick stuck in a hot tub scene. Right. Especially because, so that to me, maybe someone did that. Maybe someone did that. But that to me for my generation. And so whoever wrote this is before my generation, right? Like this is a early Gen Xer that would have written this. Whereas I'm like a mid millennial. Um, for me growing up, the story I would have always heard was not, Oh yeah. You got a blowjob in the hot tub or something like that. It was, yeah, they got their intestines sucked out of their asshole by the hot tub. I have yes, that that is like the that's in the same category of the Marilyn Manson removed a rib thing. It's it's yeah. like one of those. Like, yeah, you can get your intestines sucked out through a hot tub. Yeah. So for me, there's nothing more dangerous than a hole in a hot tub. Yeah. Yeah. And and Zach Alphanakis's character uh missed that one. I have questions for you about the investor meeting. They're ruining kind of the investor presentation at the end. Yeah. One, I still think the deal goes through, even if a couple hooligans kind of run through. Like they've put a, he's already put a ton of money into this deal. Yeah. Like they, they've uh-huh. redone a lot of stuff. How much do we think that months has taken home from this deal? Like 10, 15 billion? Ooh. It's a snow town. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, and it's in Alaska too. So that actually is another thing I forgot about that it was in Alaska, which I should have remembered because there was a polar bear involved. Um, But when I think ski town, right, I think Utah, Colorado, maybe 
if I'm being real ritzy, Taos in New Mexico or something like that. Uh, and I guess Idaho is pretty big on that now too. Um, but like, yeah, I guess in Alaska, I mean, there's travel problems, right? Like you really want to fly all the way to fucking Alaska. Um, yeah, but probably, probably 10, cool 10, 15 mil. It is really quaint to me though, that like, it's such a quaint idea to be like, all you need is like four rowdy dudes to like show up to an investor meeting and all the investors will be like, well, I've never. And then they just like run <laughs> See, off. he has the thing, they scare easily. And like, it's just like some guys, some guys snowboarding right. through their fun and a foot getting stuck in an ass. Like, and it's like, nope, I'm not, I've already, you know, I've already put a couple hundred thousand dollars into this, but no more. I'm out. That'd be, yeah, that'd be a funny scene too, where it's just like, well, you can't invest now. Look what we did. And it's like, I have paid a million dollars in legal fees and put down like $8 million. You can like fuck a goat in front of me here. Like I can't leave. I'm in, I'm in, like, I can't leave. It's over. I was, I was thinking about this today. uh, And I'm not like anti-capitalist or anything like that, but it is really funny to me how I've seen complaints about, and this would be an anti-capitalist critique. I've seen complaints about like Juneteenth and pride month being, um, you know, merchandised right and whatever and like i just think in my mind like like look what we did to the birth of christ oh it's the yeah right? the, the biggest the commercial holiday there is the birth of christ you think your parades could stand a chance like <laughs> no 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 one's safe we'll it's commercialize perfect. literally everything anything it doesn't matter and they like christmas <laughs> like <laughs> they don't even like pride month they don't care it's all getting merchandised and 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 yeah and commercialized like it's so funny so yeah like it's really funny it's so quaint to me to be like all we gotta do is like set off this fart bomb in a room and then the investors will leave forever no dude no because then all they need to do is run out of the room look at the graph that says they're gonna forex their investment in a decade and then they will they don't care (laughs) like it doesn't matter it's a movie plot that has been just replicated a million times over the, you know, we got the new folks coming in. They're trying, you know, like it's the Goonies. Like we got to, you know, we, they're coming to coming to buy up all our stuff. Like it's the ultimate, there is no bigger boogeyman than like the venture capitalists coming to invest in where you live. Right. And hilarious and almost hilariously, like no one who understands it less than a writer. Naturally. So typically, like I'm a writer, I can say this. Like I don't understand the economy very well, and most artists and writers, like don't right. They're just like, yeah, big guy, little guy. I, I don't know. Like it's just like they, there's no recognition of the fact that like you would probably just need to start murdering. That's what I was. That's what I was thinking. The only way to stop the sale is like a brutal triple homicide. Like you yeah. kill the investors. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. You make you make the place unlivable in that regard, or you set a massive fire. That's right. about it. Or, so there is uh, the Goonies thing almost makes sense because it's you could claim like historical property or whatever or historical landmark. Um, and I think it was either in a show or it happened in real life or both uh, where it's like a common tactic to like toss some arrowheads on a construction site. <laughs> and they got to just stop. That's what they should have done. Like it's a yeah. like it'd yeah. be like an Eskimo, like like a. Yeah, Eskimo yeah, like literally, that's what you do. Cause then they do, especially in um 
in a lot of places that have uh, a lot of states that are more Native American, like reservation heavy. And I don't know, while Alaska has reservations, then I don't know what Canada's deal would be um, with that same situation. But like, essentially, uh, especially if it's an indigenous site, it's a different if it's like, oh, we found some Irish bones. Like, yeah, whatever, keep building. Um, But they've they have built on top of so many Irish (laughs) graves in the Northeast. Right, exactly. Or even... Honestly, even like Chinese, like what we found some Chinese workers, like, I don't care, put more railroad on them. They wouldn't (laughs) want it. Like, it doesn't matter. But if it's indigenous, there's like certain laws and stuff protecting it. So like, I've read about that before, or I've seen it in a show. So really what they should have done is all just gotten bombed one night, made some arrowheads, gone out the next night, bombed again, dug a hole, just thrown a bunch of crap in there. And then you put, you put off, you know, construction by months. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's the move. That's the move. And Munz gets to keep his mountain. Um, is it, is it wrong to say that the car spinning bit, uh, an entire, what, 30 seconds of, of film time is the best scene in this movie? It's certainly the best idea the movie gave me, right? Like that's, I just saw that and I was like, that's, that's genius. If I don't do it to a friend, I'll wait longer and do it to a child. Teach him about drunk driving, <laughs> napping, napping child in that, that classic, like the yellow and, and red little car. And yeah, spin yeah. that, spin that fucker around. And, and there you go. Is there, is there any other scene that can compete with the hot, t- with uh not the hot tub with the spinning car pass out scene? Uh, what in terms of like pranks or just in general, just in general, best scene in this movie. Oh, um, man, I will say it's, I guess it's kind of ex- an extended situation. Um, but I really do like this, just all the stuff that happens in the bar. Um, when she comes in, Keckner's uh, rant, even Roy's little thing about loving chicks. Um, that's just a good, more, um, uh, fun or more like, I don't know, fun's not the right word because King of the Mountain's fun, but like King of the Mountain sets up the tone of the movie and then that scene kind of sets up the characters of the movie, right? And I really enjoyed all of that. That like is really- a good. That's I think that's one of the few places where everyone is in the same the same place. And then you yeah. you know the there is a good payoff when Anna shows up, right? Like the 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 Casablanca, you know, the play the play the song. Like that's you know there it's what they're going for, but it works. Yeah, it does. And I really I think I guess if you want to go as like a scene, right? Like if you want to be like nerdy movie person about it as a scene that does a fantastic job yeah. uh so i think that's probably the best like capital s scene but it's hard for me to argue with the car in terms of like what comes to mind and yeah. what is like a bit huge laugh because yeah. that's it and that's the type of laugh too where it's like you know there's laughs that surprise you where you're just like whoa and then there's laughs where you're just like, oh my God, yes. And that is an oh my God, yes laugh. Yeah. Like, right? Like that is like, you're you're like surprised and like jealous you didn't think of it and want to do it and see it again. Like that is, it's every type of joy. It, it's a laugh where you're in on the joke. Like it's not, yeah. like you said, it's not that, oh my, you know, it's like the, the surprise laugh. It's just like, you're in there in the car with that being these buddies laughing at this guy. Like you're in on it. That's what makes it so much fun. Agreed. Love it. That has nothing to do with anything. Exactly. Exactly. Because it, it it's after 
all it's after the Keckner speech and then Anna showing up and stuff like that. It's just like, let's extend this scene out for 30 more seconds and, and do that as he's passed out at the bar. And you know what, like that in a way, even though it's like, you got certain screenwriters that are really like, uh, uh, obsessive with being efficient and moving the story and stuff like that, uh, or serving the story at, at the very least. But like, and I get, I guess it does serve the story in the sense that like, it serves, it attaches you to the characters more, right? Like it really does. Like, it's like, oh, I want to be friends with these people. I like these people. Yeah, they could be my friends. Right. Like the cause is one thing and that's fine too if, if you identify more with that. But like really you want the people to win, right? Like you, you're identifying with the people and in that it serves the story in that purpose. Like it certainly doesn't move the story along but you you're ill served if you're if the only thing you want to do is move the story along. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, what's the best quote of this one? Is there something that, that jumps out to you as the, the, cause this is, I don't know how quotable this is in terms like written funny, you know, like we talk about like super bad, super bad is all mm-hmm. the lines that you spout off forever. Yeah. Like this one, like, the thing, the line that I think made me laugh the hardest is just Lee Major saying, that's a $300 hat, bitch. <laughs> like, that, that one gets me pretty good, actually. Oh, man. I yeah, That one's, I like, yeah, I don't know. It's not a quotable movie. Never quoted out cold to anyone before. Um, obviously, the Keckner speech is great, where he's, you know, remember the 80s and all that stuff um and then but even honestly like yeah the president stuff is good with that and then him stabbing himself in the hand also uh that whole yeah the whole extended speech would probably be the best the best quote in the movie yeah I, i would say kind of objectively hands down um i think the thing i hear people say the most from this one is just a throwaway is that's my motto that and everybody wang chung tonight like the Galvanakis yeah. like that, that was kind of a good throwaway, good, good, good reference to have in your back pocket. If you needed something easy. Yeah. Uh, and what's funny is, so the two main trailer moments, well, I don't know about the actual trailer cause I've never seen the actual trailer, but the two main, I remember the commercials on comedy central, the trailer commercials, the two main trailer moments were polar bear. And one of my least favorite quotes in the entire thing, which is seize the carp. I, I hate seize the carp. Didn't, didn't it, that, that line tries way too hard. It, way too hard. Oh, I will say this. My favorite quote is, uh, um, what I said earlier, which is like adults don't beat the shit out of other adults. Like, adults beat the shit out of other adults every day. <laughs> uh, that's, I love, yeah, I love unbeatable logic that leads to terrible conclusions. Like I just, that gets me, gets me off. And that is, a very accurate statement that you can't refute with anything other than just, well, I'm still not going to do it. Like you've lost the argument at that point. Yeah. Yeah. The Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character. Who's in this one too much. I'd say London and Galifianakis and really no one else are in it too much. Yeah. I think in it too much to be the best supporting character. Yeah. 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 Um, I will say this, uh, uh, he, even though he has the worst line, I do think Pigpen is probably the best supporting character. Pigpen is great. It's disappointing that like, so I look, that guy has 
Derek Hamilton, he has worked consistently for mm-hmm. the last 20 years, but in not a lot we've seen. And it's very interesting that this, I mean, and again, this was a, a box office failure, but it's kind of, it's kind of bizarre that this never, he didn't even become like that guy from out cold, like not even featured in any of these other, you know, shitbird comedies. I mean, shouldn't he have been like in three other college movies across this time being like a, the big stoner friend or something like that? Like he for could example, have been picked up in old school. He could have been one of the guys in the fraternity in old school. Yeah. Or I'll give you another one that or maybe this came out at the same time. Okay. It came out a year later. So maybe he wasn't available. Uh, I always thought it was weird that the weirdo stoner friend in Slackers was Big Pete from Pete and Pete. That, yes. Yes. I always thought that was bizarre. And I would have maybe loved to see Pigpen, uh, whatever his name is, in that role. Um, just something like that, though. Like that role in Slackers that Big Pete from Pete and Pete has is the, like, this guy should have been doing that role uh, from 2002 to 2006. Yeah, he'd be perfect in it. Perfect in it. It's it's really for best supporting character. It's really between him and Keckner, because Ke- everything sure. Keckner does in the movie is really funny. But like we said, this one has a stack. I mean, Willie Garson in this. R.I.P. Willie Garson. But like Willie yeah, Garson's really good in this one. Um, Tom. Say, I was gonna say I don't like Thomas Lennon in this movie. This is Tom Lennon kind of just. Uh, I don't know, Chris prissing it up i'll say not quite ganging it up but like he just kind of like thomas lennon is really good at playing like a prissy character and sometimes he'll just i feel like he just like paychecks his way through it sometimes doing that type of thing where he's just like mm-hmm, i'm thomas lennon where he's actually like a genuinely like he's one of the funniest people alive oh he's, uh, he's incredible you you can put him in so much stuff and and get laughs out of it this one it's either like they didn't they only gave him, they didn't give him a whole lot to do. And he was just, he was a little out of place because he was the only one who was like trying to be a serious person. Like the guy thought of himself as, as a serious yeah. person. There's, there's, he actually does this role a fair amount. Um, some more, sometimes, usually in a smaller capacity than this. Like he'll just play the stiff essentially, right? And he, he plays the stiff really well. And he'll add a sort of like, Fem, not fem, like kind of feminine to it, a prissiness to it, I guess you could say. And I never really like him when he does that. And it's not because it's for any reason other than I just, I'm like, I don't know, like you're Tom Lennon, like you can do so much. And it's like, maybe you didn't choose this. Maybe you're just getting paid, which power, more power to you. Like, yeah, take that paycheck for sure. But like that Tom Lennon could sleepwalk through the stiff rolls. He's funny as hell when he's zany, when he's just, he's a little out there. Um, Zany, like, I mean, as as a dangle or whatever, like he was so good at uh, switching between uh, actually the stiff Pris a little bit, and but then also cutting and straight cutting straight man, and then like sort of uh, cutting straight man with like fatal flaws where he co- sort of like you know suffers his like through cell phones and stuff like that. Uh, we haven't talked about we talked about Deadman a little bit about Roy. Um, I. I I just need to give a shout out to a name. I'm going to mispronounce, but Victoria Silvstedt as Inga. You actually nailed it. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there's not a whole lot I can say, but like, fuck, um, yeah. <laughs> just doing exactly what she needs to do in this movie. Um, and then, uh, you know, he like Lee majors is really, really good at this one. Like he's on fire. It's just a rich asshole. Oh, he's perfect for that. 
Great. Yeah. Great stuff. I mean, the $6 million man got him an out cold. Exactly. Incredible. I always, my, this is one of my favorite roles of his. I think still my favorite of all time is him and Scrooge <laughs> playing himself, showing up to Santa's workshop and gunning down, like, I think terrorists or something. I don't even remember. But he's just like Santa's in a shootout and Lee Majors, like literally Lee Majors shows up. I mean, this guy is basically Lee Majors. His name is John Majors in this movie. He's basically playing Lee Majors. Uh, yeah, I actually noticed. I I forgot his first name, but I noticed they called him like Mr. Majors or something. And I was like, I, I was like, is Lee Majors buying the mountain? Like, is he playing himself? <laughs> I was like, is this, is it just like a proto like Neil Patrick Harris in um Harold and Kumar situation. Incredible performance, by the way. The yeah. NPH and Harold and Kumar is just is all time. Put it in first bat. That's a first ballot Hall of Fame performance. No notes. Oh, yeah. Um, I would give my best supporting actor to uh or best supporting character to Keckner though. Because I everything like it's it's between Keckner and Pickpen, but Keckner is just on the the random the random throwaway when he's like just talking to some person sitting on a bench he's like did i ever tell you i invented snowboarding and then it cuts away and then it cuts back a few minutes later he's like i don't want credit for it but they keep giving it to me just <laughs> fucking fucking kills me that's really funny. uh he's like wearing shorts in the middle <laughs> the, of the whole, time. The whole time the whole time like signature crazy person in a ski town uh with the the bald the bald head like the balding going on it's, it's perfect um i'm gonna skip over the big chill category this is not a movie with a big chill big chill <laughs> moment not for that and then how to improve it i think we touching on like the the high floor low ceiling thing i'm not sure there's a whole lot you could do to make it that much better unless you i think replace the lead which we talked about and you could let this talented cast, like the the funny people, riff a little bit more. You could probably add in another five minutes worth of random bits, and it's like funny stuff, and it probably works. Yeah, don't chase the PG thirteen, right? Let them eat, let them have their R, and uh, yeah, give me. Um, it's just London. I feel like I feel like his character uh, had cutting lines or like sarcastic lines, because that's usually what the sort of like mundane lead has, right? Is he's sarcastic or something like that. But he just, he can't deliver that. Like really. And it's endearing, I know, it's endearing when it's dazed and confused because he's just like so chill that like, I don't know, all the high school, all the insecure high school kids like need almost that presence where it's just like he's chill and nothing and easy to latch on to. Like he's safe. He's safe. But like, these are all adults who are all very clearly from their own characters, quite self-confident people with the exception of uh, uh, Roy and his own sexuality or whatever. Like the rest of them are very comfortable in their own skin. They don't need a safe, cool person that they can kind of be under the umbrella of. So it just doesn't, the lines don't work the same, whatever. Um, So yeah, I think you need someone with just a better, comedic sensibility uh even if it's serious i mean like i we interviewed not me personally but on the one of the shows i were for matthew mcconaughey was on a couple months ago and like his character in true detective is hilarious unintentionally though in a lot of ways he's just the bluntest person on the planet yeah and he's and he's just like bizarre and awkward timing and like that you know the character wasn't necessarily written like that that was the actor doing that so i think you need just a strong 
I hate to say it, but a stronger actor. I mean, we said the same thing about Heater, right? Like, you just need a stronger actor. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, it's a matter of circumstances. Who can you afford? It's who's the studio willing to plunk down for. And, like, you uh, sometimes don't know before the movie if you have a Ryan Gosling on your hands or you have a Jason London, a guy who probably lives in a nice house and is going to be fine. But um, I was say, well, you know, I mean, London was the name right i mean he had already led a comedy yeah tim and lee majors pulling pulling the sled in this one he had already led a successful and i think the studio probably thought like we can we're not gonna this wasn't gonna be american pie maybe it could have been but i think they were at least hoping to be dazed and confused and i mean like think about that like dazed and confused only came out what eight years earlier yeah so yeah very still still in the consciousness yeah, I mean, that's Still like in the saying, consciousness in a relevant way and not like a just this movie is great, cold classic. Yeah, way. that's like giving someone who would, who just had a huge comedy in 2014 a movie now. That's like he was a guy like they they thought he could quarterback it um, based on name alone. They didn't really think much about the character or the acting or anything like that. And maybe I don't know, maybe the directors were hyped to have him on and writer were hyped. To him. I don't know. But yeah, obviously that did not work. Yeah, you get you get someone with a little more improv in it, and I I think it I I think it works a little bit better. But it's kind of you know like in getting into the last category before more store prequel sequel or remake. I don't think this movie is right for any of those. I think it's kind of let this one live as its own cult classic thing. I think it's not popular enough to remake. You certainly don't remake it. I would say I mean I a sequel could be okay. A sequel under the right circumstances could be quite good. Um, a sequel would be interesting if you get, I mean, if you get the main, if you get Galifianakis and Keckner, that's yeah. like, I mean, cause imagine if like a trailer pops up on Twitter or something like new, you know, Snowtown, it's a, you know, mountain town and Zach Galifianakis, Zach Galifianakis and David Keckner in the movie. It's like, Oh yeah. shit. These are two of the funniest oh. people on the planet. Probably going to see it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You could even, I mean, somehow put london back in there i don't know but pig pen's not doing anything right like I, I, you could get you could do i could be interested in that or maybe like they're living in a world now which somewhat accurate where like they have no choice but to do a gentrified ski town right like they don't nowhere left to go nowhere left to run the world got too small it's like the entire plot of yellowstone essentially <laughs> uh so yeah, I would I would be down for a, 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 what like a sequel. I guess a, I guess the question always assumes that the sequel is done relatively correctly. Yeah, right. So I'd be down for that for sure. Yeah. Well, the benefit that the sequel would have is you get you have the Galifianakis name behind it, and so suddenly it's got more funding. It's got the ability you can pull. You can have all these funny people as bit roles in this. Like you can have someone show up randomly for a funny, like Channing Tatum could show up out of nowhere. Like he does in this is the end for a funny, funny cameo like that. Um, Good thing. A lot of this cast is aged really well. Like looking at the IMDb, like Anna, who I don't think we talked about at all. The actress, uh, Caroline Davernis. I don't know if I got that right, but she still looks great. Like she could, she could bring it back. Like everyone, everyone, you know, bring it on back, head to the mountain for a couple weeks. Like, Let's, it let's rock it. Run it back. Yeah. Why not? Why the hell not? I mean, I, I'd be. I would. I think. It. I think this is the type of thing that the internet would fall in love with and like not follow up with and see in theaters. But then, like, 
would go bananas for it on streaming. Like, don't even bother with the theater. Just put it on streaming. Speak yeah. this. This would actually make a really fun, uh, like eight episode Netflix comedy. Like 30, 30 minutes. Did you ever? I feel like I was the only person who watched it. Me and Will DeFreeze watched the show Red Oaks. It was on Amazon Prime. And watch it. Is that the Country Club one? The Country Club one with with Paul and, Paul Reiser in it. Yeah, I wanted to. It looked like I saw that and I was like, this seems like it was made for me. And I just never got around to doing it. It's, you know, it's great. And that's what this could be. It could be these people. You probably recast it if you do you know, the streaming, but it's like funny people living in a mountain town, eight episodes, keep it real simple, couple plot themes and and run it. And like, I love Red Oaks. Like I, I, I'm the only one, but like Red Oaks was great I, I i need to watch it still i'll have to do that like sometime when i'm home alone it's it's a very easy easy watch very very quick 30 minute episodes but rob this was great i appreciate you coming back on talking another a comedy that i think was better than blades of glory i think we we've improved uh, on the quality of movie i can tell you that if i was flipping through channels and both were on i would go to out cold absolutely without without having e- done either of these episodes i would have i would be like yeah out cold Absolutely. Absolutely. Rob, tell the folks where they can follow you. Again, uh, well, you can find me at Rob Fox three, all spelled out on socials, including TikTok. Um, and then my podcast, uh, I do with Jake Goldman and Dan Register, Softcore History. Uh, that's on Apple and Spotify, blah, blah, blah. You know where to find podcasts. Uh, and then we have a Patreon as well with a real ton of really fun content, including like history quiz shows and stuff like that. That is patreon.com slash softcore history. Find all my stuff there. Always a pleasure. Let's do this again real soon. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate, and leave a review. If you want to vote on movies to be covered by this show, like this one was was voted on by our Patreon group, go join the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash sports. You get episode notes. You get schedule updates. You get to vote on episodes, giving the patrons a lot more control uh, here moving forward, they're voting on three movies uh, to be covered in, in July, so a lot of fun there. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm. That's presented by Baseball America. comes at you every other Tuesday. We'll catch you next Monday. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.